This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. I am Mel Cranenberg and I have some fascinating guests lined up today. Later in the hour, comedy duo Innes Lloyd revisit Orson Welles' infamous 1938 radio play of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds with their show, The War of the Worlds Anniversary Broadcast. So I'll be catching up with one half of the duo, David Innes, to talk about the show, which will be at the Butterfly Club at the end of October, appropriately close to Halloween as the original uh, gag, I guess, was. Um, it wasn't really a gag. It was just a radio play, but it didn't really kind of check uh in with people to to let them know that that's what was going on and back in the 1930s I guess if you heard something happen on the radio and it sounded like a newscast people just assumed that's what it was maybe we could call that the original fake news story who knows we will be discussing that later in the hour But first, uh, Triple R listeners will be extremely familiar with the thoughtful lyrics and dulcet tones of musician Holly Throsby. But in uh, 2016, Holly released her debut novel, Goodwood, shortlisted for numerous awards. Now Holly has a second book, Cedar Valley. Like Goodwood, this book is also set in a small country town, but it winds in a quirky country town setting with a very Australian mystery. Yes, the still cold case of the mysterious Summerton man makes an appearance in this page-turning yet light-hearted book. I caught up with Holly earlier to discuss the book, uh, her interest in the Summerton Man mystery and how she has undercut some of the comfortable crime tropes. Three Triple R Holly Throsby, on tour as a singer and songwriter, spent a lot of time in small Australian country towns. And it's in this setting, with a kind of gentle, arch Australian humour, that Holly has set her two novels, 2016's Goodwood and her latest Cedar Valley. Uh, Cedar Valley follows 21-year-old Billy Miller, who has come to the eponymous town to find out more about the mother she barely knew. But Billy's arrival coincides with a mystery that will set off a train of peculiar events. It's an echo of an even older mystery. I caught up with Holly Throsby earlier today and asked her about her book, her quirky small town characters and an enduring true crime mystery that still fascinates those who stumble across it. This book is kind of quite delightful. It's got a a very sort of quaint setting uh, in Cedar Valley, which is a small country town. It could almost be anywhere, and in some ways it feels slightly out of time, although I believe it is set in the 1990s. Uh, So I want you to talk a little bit about this because it does reference your first book, uh, and there are also other little sly references in there, which we will get to. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this book, um, Cedar Valley, is set in 1993. It's a year after um, the setting of my first book, which was called Goodwood. 
Um, and in Goodwood, the town of Cedar Valley is mentioned, you know, in the greater area. It, they're fictional towns, but in my mind, they're set inland from the south coast of New South Wales. Um, and yeah, this this second book, um, which is a completely standalone story, you don't need to have read the first. Uh, this one is about a girl called Benny Miller who arrives in Cedar Valley to find out information about her mother who has recently died. Um, her mother's old friend lives in the town and has offered her a little cottage, an empty cottage to stay in. Um, and on the same day that Benny arrives, uh, a quite mysterious man in a in a vintage suit um, arrives in the town as well and sits down in front of the antique store. Um, and then due to some unexpected events, um, mystery ensues. <laughs> I think uh, I don't think it's giving away too many plot points to say that the man actually dies. He does. He carks it in front of the footpath. <laughs> I think we almost need to say that in order to uh, have a have a sense of what then happens in the rest of the book, um, because this death actually uh, then sparks a series of events uh, that start to unearth some of the mysteries uh, beneath this seemingly anodyne little town. And there's nothing so terrifying as a seemingly anodyne little town as anyone who's read any comfortable crime will know. Um, I wouldn't strictly speak and call this a comfortable crime book, though. It sort of feels more in the vein of it's got a lot of humour in it. Um, there's a lot of quirk here. I was sort of almost thinking it's got a normal an exposure oh, I'm so glad you mentioned feel. that show. Yeah, I was, I was very influenced by Northern Exposure. It just it seeped into my veins when I was a teenager. I was obsessed with that show. And I think for both Goodwood and for Cedar Valley, um, it was just a sort of subliminal influence for me. Um, but in this, um, in this particular book, there is one particular episode of Northern Exposure which was very influential, as was... Um, you know, a kind of infamous unsolved mystery from Adelaide from the 1940s, which does also creep into the, the, the fictional world um, of Cedar Valley. Well, seeing as you have uh, you foregrounded it, let's talk a little bit about the Summerton Man mystery because it's impossible to get away from. And in fact, you're not at all trying to get away from it. This is heavily referenced in the book, very explicitly so. Uh, for those who don't know much about the Summerton Man mystery, would you like to perhaps lay out that particularly <laughs> infamous Australian cold case? Uh, yes. Uh, the Summerton Man uh, is the name given to a gentleman who was found dead on Summerton Beach in Glenelg in Adelaide in 1948. Um, he was wearing a suit of the time. Um, he had no identification on him and not just that but all the labels of his clothing had been removed. Um, so he was, you know, instantly this kind of strange mystery and the case just gets more and more bizarre the more you look into it. Eventually um, he, he was linked to a book of Persian poetry that was found in a car which had a some kind of cipher in the back and there was a lot of theories about him being a spy because this was right at the start of the Cold War where there were apparently a lot of spy activity in Australia even from behind the Iron Curtain, you know, and so as the case kind of continued um, and continued to get more and more bizarre, um, crime and mystery buffs across Australia you know, trying to f- crack the code. Um, people are still trying to crack the code. There's a professor at the University of Adelaide called Derek Abbott who has his engineering students trying to crack the code. He wants to get the body exhumed for DNA. And there's been a lot of development since the early 90s when my book is set. Um, but it is one of those cases that if you're interested in, in crime and mystery, um, it's so fascinating. It's such a cracker. And I I did, um, I was really interested in bringing something, a real life thing into this 
work of fiction and it just really seemed like the perfect case because um, although we do have someone who's died, it's kind of fun. It's really fun. It's a really... Um, it's not it's not the most gruesome and horrible thing although we shouldn't forget that a human life has been extinguished but it is um it's so weird that it's continually compelling for people and the language used in the book really plays around that stuff i think you you really do go for this quite sort of quirky humor throughout the whole book i think at one stage someone um, you know is is kind of ruminating that this was the place where the dead man had died. And I just thought that kind of turn of phrase and how you're using language throughout the book is really underpinning that that really kind of arch and quirky sense of humour uh, that really does, you know, I, I guess all of the characters are quite, you know, they're quite sort of boldly drawn uh, characters. Uh, it does feel, there was a tiny little part of me that thought this is like, you know, the early parts of of. Twin Peaks and you reference Annie Prue's The Shipping News as well very obliquely at one stage uh, which I thought was also interesting but yeah you're really dwelling in that space where this is this is kind of a a light-hearted comedy in a lot of ways but there there's also a lot of darkness underneath which a lot of these kind of smaller towns and settings can hide. Uh, so I guess your said a valley man, as he comes to be referred to at one point, um, is actually kind of, you know, in some way people are trying to draw a link between him and Summerton Man. And this sort of goes to another mystery at the heart of this book, which is the mystery of Benny Miller's mother, Vivian, who also was obsessed with the Summerton Man mystery. Uh, and so this also becomes a little bit of a book about grief, about uh, a young woman who has lost her mother who she didn't really know and so the you know as with all crime books there's the there's the crime and then there's the real crime or there's the the kind of mystery and the real mystery and the real mystery at the heart of this book at least for Benny Miller is actually finding out who her mother Vivian Moon as she was originally known was yeah so I was really interested in the notion of a mother who is somehow estranged from their child um in Goodwood I had a really different mother-daughter relationship which was a really beautiful close and positive one in this I kind of went the opposite way um but I'm glad you mentioned the humor because that's something I really am conscious of in terms of the tone of these books um in Goodwood and in Cedar Valley for me the books that I've loved the most are books that are able to delve into really dark subject matter but are able to do it with a lightness of tone um I was really influenced by In Cold Blood by Truman Capote which I think is a fantastic example of that and the fiction of Richard Yates for example um the American writer who wrote Revolutionary Road and the Easter Parade um I feel that you can do a lot with humour and in the way that it, it kind of opens up a space for dark, for, you know, darker themes um, in a way that's sort of not cold and, and prohibitive. Um, and so I, I was definitely going for like a cosy, humorous tone. And, I, and obviously Benny's story is not funny Um but I did, I did enjoy kind of setting her amongst this. I mean, you referenced Twin Peaks as well, which you know, I'm a teenager in the '90s, so it's a it's a cultural touchstone for. And I guess that kind of weirdness is something I was really going for in this book as well, just in the way that 
it's an odd thing that happens and how do people respond to that oddness and in a lot of ways they respond with their own oddness which is something that I enjoyed writing. If you've just joined us you're listening to 3RRR the show's backstory I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to author and musician Holly Throsby about her latest book her second this one is called Cedar Valley Uh, it is slightly linked to your original book, Holly um, Goodwood, um, is it Cedar Valley or Cedar Valley? I think Cedar I, Valley. Cedar Valley. Yep. Should get that right, I suppose. Oh, um, I like how you uh, how you kind of are linking these these books. I guess you could call this a spin off. If we, we I gonna... would call it a spin off. <laughs> um, and so, but it's kind of it's a wonderful feeling that you're watching an author build their cosmology. I guess in a sense, which you are doing with this book, where it's a, a step away. Uh, from Goodwood, but a reference to it. Are you going to go back to the original town or are you going to keep moving and letting the characters lead you around these kind of quirky, strange and slightly sort of, you know, terrifying country <laughs> towns? Um, I I think I'll probably move on again. I'm not quite sure. I, I have, I've got one page of a new book that I've just started, but I'm not sure. It's a bit too soon to know where I'll go. But I do really like the idea of creating a kind of universe that readers can continue on with. I mean, as a reader and as a fan um, of television, for example, I love a TV spin-off and I love a kind of collection of books. Um, and I think as a musician it makes sense as well because with creating albums, we're kind of doing that as musicians, we're sort of creating a sonic world and then there's always obviously links from one album to the other um and I think that's nice for people to consume those works as a group so I hope that people that like Cedar Valley will go back and read Goodwood for example and get something out of that Mm. I do want to talk a little bit about some of the characters in this town um there's always that kind of you know slightly busybody um you know, woman, I guess, that's included uh, in in the mix in Comfortable Crime. And uh, we have here Cora Franks, who <laughs> she's a particularly kind of, you know, suspicious character. She's, uh, she's very nosy and um, she has got some secrets of her own, obviously. But one of the early... Uh, descriptions of her first interaction with law enforcement is her kind of bailing up uh, to find out details or to offer her opinions on what may or may not have happened to Cedar Valley Man. Um, and I love the description of her being a part of this this book club, which sounds like a kind of group of matriarchs that have basically <laughs> formed allegedly around books, but uh, but they find it somewhat difficult, even though the book club takes precedence over literally every other event <laughs> in people's lives, including weddings and birthdays and births. Uh, they sometimes find it difficult to complete the books. And so every fourth meeting, they travel to the local uh, major centre, Clark, and see a movie instead. And I thought that was just a wonderful description. Talk to me a little bit about this character and and maybe, you know, her sort of place in the, in the sort of grand pantheon of similar kinds of characters? Um, Well, I guess I was interested in the kind of tropes of small town and like cosy crime and um, although that's a term comfortable or cosy crime that I only learnt last week, I didn't even realise that was the genre that I was apparently working in Um, because I don't think it obviously doesn't really sit exactly in that genre but it's more, to me, it's more like kind of low-key Australian comedy um, 
but hopefully with a lot of heart. Like I, I do feel like I feel a lot of compassion for these characters. But with Cora, yeah, we do all know the kind of in inverted commas character that she is. But what I wanted to do with her with, in this book is to really go into her and really um, explore her kind of humanity. And I ended up, she was in my favourite character really to write. And a lot of readers have said that they really enjoyed reading her. Um, I think self-reflection is so important and her kind of slightly excruciating manner and behaviour to me is so beautifully excused by her ability to self-reflect. Um, and, you know, Benny's really kind of put off by her, but the things that Benny is really put off by are really things that she doesn't like about herself, like her own intense curiosity and which she, she I think, is really uncomfortable with the intensity of her curiosity. Um, so I was really trying to draw... There's three characters um, that you get the point of view of there's Benny Miller there's Cora and there's Tony Simmons a police officer who did make a a cameo in Goodwood and comes across as a much bigger character in Cedar Valley Um, but I did want to really draw links between the three of them they're really different but for me understanding the relationships between people understanding the commonality between people is such a beautiful thing that fiction can do and that's certainly what I'm interested in doing. Absolutely. And I, again, I would agree that I wouldn't call this comfortable crime in the same way. I think with a comfortable crime, really, you are centering, uh, you know, the crime, the whodunit, and there is that element of it uh, here. But yeah, very definitely, this is about the characters uh, and, you know, their experiences. And, you know, they're very beautifully kind of uh, written in this quite humorous, as you say, light Australian comedic fashion um uh, but yes definitely I think that there is heart wound through this and I think the reflections that you get particularly through um you know as you get to unravel the mystery of of uh, Benny Miller's relationship with her mother of her mother you know of you know of this kind of missing character which is the mother who's recently died as well um, and her relationship with the other characters in the book you're starting to really see more of them not just the kind of I guess external sort of stereotype that we've we've come to know. Yeah, I was very like I guess I I did enjoy kind of messing with the genre a little, like subverting the kind of police procedural, for example, because there is one element of this which is a police procedural element, which is I found so fun to write because I I mean I had like some great some great contacts on the police force that you know I knew through people that could give me some great tips on that, but I loved bring the humor into those interactions and I also just for me I love crime and mystery as a genre and I I do read a lot of it but the books that really are closest to my heart are always books that are not that at all and much like literary fiction is really the books that I love um so books that are you know domestic dramas or relationship stories family stories um and so in that way using combining those two things is what I've, I've kind of wanted to do to have something that's really um compelling and hopefully propel propulsive through the through the narrative but really using that as a way to to examine people you know to look at psychology and to look at you know loss and grief and identity and memory those are all the kind of main things that came out of this book which you know these are things I think about all the time 
I feel as though you are going to get a lot of uh, people who are interested in the Somerton Man, though, <laughs> uh, getting in touch or well, reaching we're going out. To Adelaide. We're going to Adelaide uh, today, so we'll do an event there. And I, I do. I think Adelaideans, there's a strong Adelaide connection from various characters in this book, so I'm hoping that Adelaide readers will appreciate that. I, I think you're going to get some appreciation. So I suppose I should ask, do you have any theories on that particular case? Because I presume you did a little bit of reading before you wrote oh, this book. I certainly book. did, and I enjoyed that. Um, look, I... I think that there's a woman in the town that that, that he he was purported to know. I think he definitely did. There's a there's a purported love child, um, which I do believe is probably <laughs> exactly that. Um, I love to think that it is an espionage related, spy related story. Um, as do the people in Cedar Valley love to think that um, about their own version of this man. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I love a good mystery. In a way, I hope it's never solved. I think that there's something beautiful about an unsolved mystery and that's why it continues to be so compelling. If it all just gets kind of crossed off and dealt with, I think there'll be something slightly disappointing in that. It's a little bit like Picnic and Hanging Rock. You know, there's there's such, there's such an intense kind of frustrating beauty and never knowing what happened to those girls. Well, I, I think that the problem was that Lindsay did actually write uh, an extended version where she kind of, you know, had that supernatural element and I think it's vastly better without, you know, having that sense of where the author thinks things went, um, as you say, to kind of leave us to have our overly fertile imaginations <laughs> run right. This was just such a fun book to read. Uh, I, it was fun. It was moving. Uh, you did such a great job. Thank you, Holly. Thanks for having me. Uh, that was Holly Throsby talking about her latest book, uh, Cedar Valley. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. You're listening to 3RRR. The show is Backstory. And it's been 80 years since Orson Welles aired his radio play based on H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. Listeners were so taken in by the new broad- news broadcast style of the piece that Rysik panic ensued. With people convinced aliens really had invaded, this event and a 1978 musical based on the event in the original play is now the subject of the War of the Worlds anniversary broadcast. The brainchild of comedy duo duo Innes Lloyd, the show will be at the Butterfly Club at the end of this month. Joining me on the line now is one half of the duo, David Innes. David, welcome to Backstory. Thank you. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Now, this is one of the greatest uh, stories of radio's heyday. What got you interested in revisiting the War of the Worlds broadcast? Well, uh, many of the shows that Ennis Lloyd does, uh, or do, I should say, involve an anniversary of some kind, usually of some sort of uh, nerd quality to it. Um, and we found that this year was it was the 80th anniversary of the original broadcast, so we thought this would be a good idea. But also coupled with that, Jeff Wayne's uh, musical adaptation, which I grew up with, celebrates its 40th anniversary. So it was this wonderful double whammy that made us say we must do this as a show. Now, people might know a little bit about the original broadcast, although I will get you to talk about that as well. But tell me a little bit about the 1978 musical, because I knew absolutely nothing about that. 
Ah, uh, well, yes. Well, the 1978, well, it wasn't an official musical. It was um, It was a more of a, I suppose, you could almost argue a concept album. Jeff Wayne, a, a popular pop music composer, uh, always wanted to do a great big musical based on a book of some kind. And um, he decided to adapt War of the Worlds, and he made this wonderful soundtrack um, uh, to the to the uh, adaptation to the story and he had Richard Burton uh, do the narration of it and uh, was released as an album and it basically went super ultra mega platinum and sold millions and millions of copies uh, in 1978 Um, so yeah it's just basically you could almost argue it's like an audiobook version of a musical audiobook version of the story so what will your show be about and what, what kind of elements are you plumbing for your particular kind of brand of comedy? Well, this is actually one of the first times where we decided uh, early on in rehearsals to actually cut out a lot of the jokes that we would normally do. And uh, we really just wanted to see, can we merge uh, the two show, the two um, uh, broadcasts together? So what we've done is we've taken some elements from the original uh, Orson Welles broadcast and merged them together with the music as played live with the wonderful Caleb Garfinkel uh, that we're going to be performing. Forming uh, a selection of the songs from the soundtrack live as well. Oh, that's great. Now, the original radio play really was something of a kind of disaster story, really, when you think about it. It was, you know, and obviously done in a convincing news broadcast style that, that made people think that it was a real thing. And it's hard not to consider parallels now with the fact that when we read something on our social media feed or, you know, or read an article, we assume that there is some level of fact associated with it. it do you play with this at all in your show? Uh, I would. I'd love to do this. Uh, I think if we got to adapt it fully and properly, I think we would definitely have to. Um, a number of people have done it since. But no, what we're what we're mainly aiming for this time is just to celebrate uh, that this was the the original um, uh, sort of fake news, as it were, um, that have that has been replicated ever since. So we're just trying to uh, take the best elements and uh, perform them live for people to get a kick out of. Now, if you've just joined us, uh, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and I'm talking to one half of uh, comedy duo Innes Lloyd, David Innes, who's talking about their show, which is coming up at the Butterfly Club at the end of this month, The War of the World's Anniversary broadcast uh it is of course on the eve of halloween which uh i gather was probably you know a part of the reason why they chose to have a kind of horror story uh set up around that kind of 1938 period was that uh, i mean obviously your timing is more to do with anniversaries uh, itself but uh, i'm are you trying to kind of give this a slightly spooky feel as well well, definitely, well, that was one of the things. Whenever we've done a show, we've always think, what else could we do? What else could we do differently? And this is the one thing we haven't done. We haven't done anything relating to Halloween or that kind of stuff. So uh, we thought well, this would just be perfect. Not only does it sort of kick off all the boxes of the Innes Lloyd anniversary uh, nerddom celebration, but also has a lovely bit of spookiness. Um, I was talking to a number of people, friends of mine, who grew up with the Jeff Wayne's War of the 
world. And even that, uh, listening to that, well, being subjected to that as kids uh, with the eerie synthesizer music was enough to send us scuffling behind the speakers. <laughs> it's a really enduring one, isn't it? The, the alien invasion kind of element in, in horror stories, that, that idea that not only is there someone out there, they're malevolent. And do you think that that's because we sort of, you know, we're kind of projecting our own slightly evil imperialism on some other potential culture out there? Well, I think uh, I, I've, when I've done research about alien invasion stories, it really sort of, a lot of it comes back to not only do we have the H.G. Wells story, but it really became popular in the 1950s. I mean, if you look at people like Nigel Neal and the Quatermass series, and his form of writing is basically anything that's not us is the enemy. And it's, a, it's a, almost a very classic storytelling trope. So uh, whether or not we've talked about, you know, other countries being enemies to us or other cultures, anything that is uh, a dislike for the unlike is uh, often terrifying. And it just made sense that uh, if you've got another culture that, or another alien species that that would become, we must be terrified. But I also love the fact that we live in an age where we're actually doing different kinds of storytelling where we're actually saying, well, hang on, maybe aliens aren't that. If you look at my <laughs> recent series of Doctor Who, it's like that. Absolutely. I, I mean, and I think that that is obviously where the new tide of storytelling should be going because I guess undercutting those tropes. But, I, but you know, you do have to think about that. I know we were sort of joking about the fake news element of it, but there's something very real in that, isn't there? I, you sort of feel as though what Orwell um, sort of exposed with his uh, his kind of dramatisation of, of the War of the Worlds and, and the fact that people really believed it, is kind of what, uh, you know, the dark side of politics, as I like to think of it, has really played on in this modern era, the kind of Trumpian era. They've kind of played on people's, you know, innate fear of the other uh, and they're really exposing uh, that and and using it um, to get into power. Well, and we've been doing it for ages as well. I mean, not just now, but uh, you may be familiar or uh, with a uh, wonderful Halloween, another Halloween story broadcast on TV in 1993 called Ghost Watch, which was a British. <laughs> I am production. not familiar with that. <laughs> Ah, right. Ghost Watch well, is a wonderful it, name, though. Yeah, basically, it was on the cutting edge of reality TV. So it was back in the days, you might remember things like uh, changing rooms or anything like that. Any of those sort of, you know, we're going around to a house and we're investigating, you know, the people living there. And that was the philosophy. It was like it was this presented as like a reality TV show um, in, with uh, Michael Parkinson as the host. And, um, yeah, and it was the idea of a ghost story. It was completely but it was banned on the BBC for years afterwards because people thought it was real because uh, it had like a real phone number it had or it had like a real looking number it had people they trusted so we have been doing this for years where we go let's take something that everyone's kind of knows and exploit that i mean if you look at modern day politics we are all afraid of people unlike us or we're all afraid of our you know our lives being un insecure give that and give that a, a face a, an incorrect face a wrong face a, a lie but it's one of the easiest storytelling techniques of all time would you agree 
Absolutely. I'm very glad you're turning this into comedy, though. But I think, you know, it is it is worth um, noting that these things are happening and they are genuinely terrifying. The stories uh, that we make up are far less scary than actually what's going on in real life. Uh, so tell us, um, if people do want to take a step out of the more terrifying real life uh, and see your version of events uh, and um, your homage to these great um, kind of uh, adaptations, I guess, of H.G. Wells' original story, uh, tell us how do they go about booking? Uh, the best way to go to that is to go to the Butterfly Club website uh, and you can find that on the Googles or whatever rather than trying to scramble down on a URL. But uh, otherwise, uh, and then just look for Innes Lloyd, uh, um, the War of the Worlds broadcast, I think is uh, in the, the official title. And we're on on the Monday, the uh, 29th of October. So, yeah, just uh, Google us up, Innes Lloyd, War of the Worlds, find us, book us online uh, where the tickets are selling. So it would be delightful to make sure we can have a nice big full house for our wonderful Halloween tale. Uh, David Innes, thank you so much uh, for joining me on Backstory today to talk about the War of the Worlds anniversary broadcast. I I think it is a, a suitably kind of spooky um, entry into the Halloween season. Thank you so much. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. You are listening to Backstory on 3RRR and we're coming very, very close to the end of the show. I do want to thank... Uh, all of my wonderful guests uh, that have come on this hour. It's always, it always feels like uh, the hour, it kind of is sort of TARDIS-like, much bigger than the sum of its total minutes uh, with the amount of, of goodness that we can fit into it. Um, at the top of the hour, I spoke with Holly Throsby about her latest book, Cedar Valley, Cedar Valley which is... Uh, her second book, uh, it is um, kind of a, a quite sort of gentle, I guess, um, humorous take uh, on a crime book uh, for those who want something quite lighthearted to read. Uh, this is definitely something to go towards and it does do uh, a little bit of a new take on the Summerton Man mystery. Uh, and I also spoke with David Innes, one half of uh, Innes Lloyd, a comedy duo uh, who are appearing at the Butterfly Club later this month. Uh, they are doing their take on, um, or their homage, I guess, to the original H.G. Uh, uh, like Wells uh, adaptation that, um, that Orson Wells managed to terrify people with back in the 1930s. That is the War of the Worlds anniversary broadcast. It also references a 1938 uh, soundtrack musical type extravaganza that, um, that also became something of a sensation. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of uh, references in this show today to, to things that have captured many people's imaginations and, and seem to be kind of built upon again and again. It's one of the wonderful things about delving into stories is that you realise that, uh, that these stories have echoes that continue to be heard and picked up on and developed into new creative works. This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio.
You've been listening to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and if you like what you've heard, you can listen to the live version of the show, Wednesdays at 12 on Triple R. Join the stream on the Triple R website or subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Join me again soon. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au. 